Welcome to the second episode of the Why Believe the Bible series, hosted by my dad, Harry Schaefer. In episode 24, we learned that one way to confirm the truth of any book, including the Bible, is to compare it to outside sources. We take what's written, compare it to known facts, and see if it matches. If it lines up, it's true. The Bible lines up with known facts, so it can be trusted as a source of truth. And two, we can use predictive prophecy. Men inspired by God wrote amazingly accurate prophecies, and we looked at one such prophecy concerning Tyre. In this episode, we'll dig into prophecies made by both Isaiah and Jeremiah regarding Babylon and explore how these prophecies really happened and thus help prove the Bible is true. Understanding why the Bible is true is a fundamental building block of Christian confidence. Confidence leads to boldness. And if you're in need of a little more confidence and a little more boldness, you should attend the free virtual conference happening November 6th through 10. 10 Christian women, including myself, will be sharing golden nuggets of the faith to help you become more bold in your walk with God. The link is waiting for you to click it in the show notes. Be sure to get yourself registered today. Right now, I'm turning the microphone back over to my dad. Here's Harry. Okay, we looked at the prophecy concerning Tyre in Ezekiel 26. We want to look at another prophecy, which would be another prophetic proof for the truth of the Bible. And it's found in Isaiah and Jeremiah, two prophets in the Old Testament, and concerns the fall of Babylon to the Medes and the Persians. When Isaiah writes, Babylon the city is in existence, but the Babylonian Empire is not. The main power of the time was the Assyrian Empire. Babylonians would not destroy the Assyrian Empire and create the great Babylonian Empire for another 100 years after Isaiah writes. So Isaiah is writing about the destruction of a world power that had not yet come into existence. So we're going to read a few verses from Isaiah chapter 13. We're going to read verses 17 to 22. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, which shall not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Their bows also shall dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eye shall not spare children. And Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation, Neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. But the wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there. And the wild beasts of the islands shall cry in their desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant palaces, and her time is near to come, and her days shall not be prolonged. Verse 19 in the middle of that passage, describes Babylon as being the glory of kingdoms with beauty and excellency. And all this will be true of Babylon. It wasn't true when Isaiah wrote, but it will be true of Babylon. Babylon is legendary for its glory and its beauty. Of the seven wonders of the ancient world, two of them, two out of seven, were found in Babylon. The Hanging Gardens, Babylon, and the Ishtar Gate, and the uh, Processional Way. About the Hanging Gardens... We have descriptions of them from people that saw them in the time, but there's no physical remains whatsoever. We really don't know exactly what they were. But the Ishtar Gate is different. It actually is currently in existence, but not in Babylon. In 1902 to 1914, 
German archaeologists dismantled the ruins of the gate and took it to Berlin, and there they restored it and reassembled it in the Pergamon Museum. It stands 46 feet high and 100 feet wide. It's made of deep blue glazed brick with figures of animals and gods in relief. It's a beautiful structure. I know. I've seen it. I've been to the Pergamon Museum. The Ishtar Gate actually was two gates, a smaller and a larger. The one that's in the museum is the smaller one. The larger one is too big to put up in, inside like that. The processional way that led up to the gate was about a half a mile long and 60 feet wide, had walls on both sides made of the same blue glazed brick with large reliefs of lions lining the entire way. It was spectacular. There was nothing like it anywhere in the world at the time. Again, this is something you could look up on the internet and see pictures of it. It's really something to see. But none of this existed in Isaiah's day. The beauty and excellency of the Ishtar Gate and the processional way wouldn't be built until about 140 years after Isaiah writes. Isaiah not only predicts the greatness of Babylon, but in the, in the last of verse 19 and in verses 20 and 22, he predicts that all of this would be completely destroyed and the site of the city be nothing but desert and never be inhabited. Verse 17 says the Medes would be responsible for Babylon's fall. In Isaiah chapter 44 and 45, actually it sounds like a long passage, but it's not. We're talking about the last verse in chapter 44 and the first few verses of chapter 45. He predicts that a man named Cyrus would come along, conquering nations and kings and restoring Israel from captivity in Babylon back to Jerusalem. And this is what he says in 44 verse 28 and 45, 1 to 4. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundations shall be laid. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings, to open before him the two leave gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee, and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass, and cut in sunder the bars of iron, and I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. Isaiah is predicting the end of a captivity of the Jews that won't begin for over a hundred years after Isaiah writes this. He predicts that this Cyrus will order Jerusalem to be built and the temple to be built. Now, when the people of his day heard that, they probably thought Isaiah was nuts. I mean, Solomon's temple was still standing there, and Jerusalem was still flourishing, and the Jews weren't in captivity at all. So what do you mean, build it, they probably said. There it is. Even more memorable, he names the individual who will make it happen. This is a man who won't be born for another 125 to 135 years. And yet Isaiah is able to predict not only what he will accomplish in his life, but even what his name would be. The prophet Jeremiah also wrote about the destruction of Babylon. Jeremiah writes in chapter 50 and chapter 51 about the destruction of Babylon. We, now, that's a, a, a pretty long passage. And we're not going to have time to read all that. So I'm going to pick some of what Jeremiah writes and we'll read that. Now, Jeremiah writes about 10 years after Nebuchadnezzar II has taken Jerusalem. No army in the world is able to stand up before Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army 
and they're approaching the zenith of their power when he writes. In 20 more years, after Jeremiah writes, Nebuchadnezzar will build the Ishtar Gate. Jeremiah makes predictions that would have been incomprehensible at the time. In these two chapters, he predicts that not only would Babylon fall to the Medes, but would be totally destroyed and uninhabited. So in chapter 50, the first three verses kind of gives us a context of what he's going to write. He says, The word that the Lord spake against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet, Declare ye among the nations, and publish, and set up a standard. Publish, and conceal not. Say, Babylon is taken, and Bel is confounded. Merodach is broken in pieces. Her idols are confounded. Her images are broken in pieces. For out of the north there cometh up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. Down in verse 13, we find a recurring theme, the total destruction of Babylon. Verse 13 says, Because of the wrath of the Lord, it shall not be inhabited, but it shall be wholly desolate. Everyone that goeth by Babylon shall be astonished and hiss at all our plagues. Now 17, chapter uh, 50. Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First the king of Assyria have devoured him, and last this Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, has broken his bones. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, as I have punished the king of Assyria, and I will bring Israel again to his inhabitants, his, to his inhabitation, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied about upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. So Jeremiah is prophesying that when Babylon falls, Israel will be restored to the land. And then later in the chapter, verses 38, 39, and 40, he writes this, A drought is upon our waters. They shall be dried up, for it is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. Therefore the wild beasts of the desert with the wild beasts of the islands shall dwell there, and the owls shall dwell therein, and it shall be no more inhabited forever. Neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and the neighbor cities thereof, saith the Lord, so shall no man abide there, neither shall any son of man dwell therein. We see this is really a lot of the same language, the same type of language that uh, we read in Isaiah. But Jeremiah's a hundred years later, and he's saying the same thing, same message. And in chapter 51, just a few verses from there, verses uh, 28 and 29, prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes, the captains thereof, and all the rulers thereof, and all the land of his dominion. And the land shall tremble and sorrow, for every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon, to make the land of Babylon a desolation without an inhabitant. And then 39 and 40 says, In their heat I will make their feasts, and I will make them drunken, and that they may rejoice and sleep a perpetual sleep, and not awake, saith the Lord. I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like rams with he-goats. And then last, verse 57 of chapter 51. And I will make drunk her princes and her wise men, her captains and her rulers, and her mighty men, and they shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake, saith the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. So together, taken together, Isaiah and Jeremiah, writing about a hundred years apart, predict the total destruction of Babylon by the Medes, under a commander, under the command of a man named Cyrus. The end will come when the water of the city is dried up, that we read in verse 38, and her leaders and defenders are drunk and then slaughtered. 
Cyrus will then end Israel's captivity and order Jerusalem and the temple to be rebuilt. Babylon would be destroyed and never be rebuilt. Is all this just an interesting story, or did these predictions actually happen? The historical account tells us that every detail really happened. In 539 BC, Cyrus II, also known as Cyrus the Great, came up against Babylon with his army of Medes and Persians and their allies. They besieged the city, even though Babylon was considered to be impervious to a siege. The biggest problem for a city being besieged is the supply of water. But Babylon was built so that the Euphrates River ran under the city wall on one side, through the city, and out under the wall on the downstream side. This was a large, inexhaustible water supply. So it's going to be hard to besiege Babylon. But Cyrus came and he dug a canal to divert enough of the river flow so that men could wade in the riverbed under the wall and into the city. And this is what they did on the night of October the 12th, 539 BC. On that night, the whole city was celebrating a religious feast and the leaders and the soldiers were all drunk and were not able to offer much of a defense. Just as Jeremiah predicted, Babylon's water was dried up the defenders were all drunk and slaughtered, and the city fell. One of the first things that Cyrus did after conquering Babylon was issue a decree ending the captivity of the Jews and ordering the rebuilding of the temple and Jerusalem. Now, Isaiah identifies the conquerors of Babylon as the Medes, led by Cyrus. Now, we've seen that it's been correct about Cyrus, but what about the Mede thing? Cyrus is usually considered to be a Persian. Actually, he was both. He was both a Mede and a Persian. Cyrus' father was Cambyses. He was the king of Persia, and he was actually a subject of the king of Media, whose name was Astyages. Astyages gave his daughter to Cambyses as his wife. And Cyrus' grandson became the king of the Medes after Cyrus. No, Cyrus was the grand. I got it backwards. Cyrus was the grandson of the king of the Medes. His father was the king of the Persians, but. After the king of the Persians, Cambyses, died and Cyrus became the king, he went to war against his grandfather and defeated him. And he became the king of the Medes and the Persians. He found, and then he founded what's been called the Medo-Persian Empire. So you can see when it says the Medes, he was a Mede. His mother was a Mede. So it doesn't say Persians, but it says the Medes, and that's who he was. Babylon was not immediately totally destroyed, but in time it was totally destroyed and abandoned. The city's site is in what today is called Iraq, and to this day has no permanent residence. Just like the with Ezekiel's predictions about Tyre, every detail of Isaiah's and Jeremiah's predictions about Babylon were accurately fulfilled. There are just these are just two of over fifteen hundred prediction predictive prophecies in the Bible. Speaking in round numbers, about one thousand of the fifteen hundred prophecies that are in the Bible have been fulfilled. What about the other 500? Well, they concern events that are still future to us today, so are yet to be fulfilled. Based on the solid evidence of 1,000 prophecies already accurately fulfilled, we can confidently come to the two conclusions. One, those other 500 prophecies will be fulfilled exactly like the first 1,000 prophecies were. And the second conclusion is this. The statements and information given in the Bible are true. Since no one can know the future to be able to make such detailed predictions about events and people hundreds of years into the future and have everything accurately fulfilled 
is the strongest evidence that the Bible is, as it claims to be, a word come from God. This is also an illustration of what we mean when we say that God never expects us to exercise blind faith. He gives us strong evidence to show that his word is true and is to be trusted, and then he asks us to believe what he says. So there you have it. We don't need blind faith to believe the Bible. We can believe it because God gives us strong evidence to believe the word is true and is to be trusted. Part of that strong evidence is the evidence provided by predictive prophecies, such as the ones discussed in this episode concerning Babylon. On a wider scope, God provides around 1,500 prophecies throughout Scripture, about a thousand of which have already been fulfilled in minute detail. And there's more proof that isn't related to prophecies. Coming up in episode 26, we'll explore three more reasons to believe the Bible is true. Until then, get yourself registered for the 2023 Renewed Conference so you can increase your boldness and hang out live with me on Zoom on November 10th. Sure hope to see you there.